Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Welcome, everybody, back to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew, and of course, I got my co-host, Matt, here with me. As always, it is another week of speculation, another fun time in Jetsland in the offseason. There are two very major and important quarterback dominoes falling very, uh, very soon in terms of Derek Carr and Aaron Rodgers and where they go, and the New York Jets suspected, uh, suspected to be involved in both of those situations. Matt, I thought it would be smart today for us to sit down and look at this situation as a whole and really break down the pros and the cons of each side. It seems very, very likely, if not all but assured, that the Jets are going to try everything they can to get a veteran quarterback and go for broke while their defense is still young and playing well and the rest of their offensive skill talent is young and playing well and hopefully stays healthy. They're trying to go for broke. They're going to look for a veteran. These two guys, one more so in Derek Carr than Aaron Rodgers right now, seems to be available. I think it seems very, very likely, if not assured again, that Carr is going to be available. Rodgers is a little more up in the air, but where there's a lot of smoke, and usually where there's smoke, there's fire. I can't see this situation with Rodgers. Will he, won't, for Green Bay carrying on too much longer. Let's jump right in. Matt, I want you to start here. Looking at things as a whole, Let's just start with Derek Carr's contract because it's the much easier one to explain. And when you're looking at the proponent of potentially trading for one of these quarterbacks, whether it be Rodgers or Carr, I think it's very uh, evident that it's a lot more team friendly of a situation to be taking on Carr's current contract than it would be for Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, and I think it should be said that if Carr is traded, there's most likely going to be some kind of restructuring uh, because as of right now, it's what 40 million guaranteed by the 15th. So any team trading firm would then take that on. Uh, of course, he would have to waive his no trade uh, clause. And uh, then that to make before anything gets started. Uh, and then the restructuring. And then you have the, the, the gray area of the trade not becoming finalized till the new uh, year, uh, the new uh, league year starts. So it's a little foggy, but at the same time, it's a lot friendlier because the team is, uh, the Raiders right now are looking to get rid of him for anything. Uh, so the the trade compensation will probably be a late round pick, at most a mid round pick. Uh, it won't look anything like what the Green Bay Packers are looking for with Rodgers. So that right away just makes Carr a lot more desirable. Uh, then again, it, it's not very likely that Carr is traded for. It is a lot more likely that he is cut. And the team picking him up uh, will just have to redo a, a new, make a new deal with him that will be a lot more friendlier uh, cap-wise this year. Uh, it will probably add years and spread out uh, more guaranteed money for him, so that's more favorable for him. 
because I believe he only has the forty million guaranteed in this current contract. If we were to yep. trade for it, that's it. Just the forty million. So a new deal will get him more guaranteed money, more security, uh, and likewise for the team that that's signing him, they get uh, more security in a top twelve quarterback uh, for that's in his early thirties right now. Uh, that should be able to go on a nice run, a healthy run, depending how they structure the contract. Uh, that's probably not going to be top quarterback money, I don't believe, uh, if he is re-signed, but it'll be up there. But the fact that we're probably not paying Mahomes-like money or Watson money, uh, I think puts us in a nice favorable, favorable position to be able to re-sign other people. And right now, uh, there aren't that many people to resign. A lot of these guys are very young, uh, and won't their contracts won't be due uh, for another couple of years. So we can kind of maybe even front load a little bit and and uh, have some some space left over for when the younger guys come to fruition. Uh, and when it comes to uh, winning a championship, I think the more chances you get, the better. Uh, and right now, I think that's with Carr. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, looking at things very objectively, simply from a cost of investment perspective, it's very likely Derek Carr is going to be outright cut. Uh, it just seems very hard to work out a trade where whatever team trading for him is going to want to take on that salary and that bonus and 40 million right there squared away guaranteed and have it on their books uh, and not have any sort of risk involved. On top of that, it seems like the Raiders don't want that whatsoever. And it would be a lot of moving pieces that would have to come together very, very quickly for a restructure to be negotiated between Carr's new team and or whatever team would be trying to become his new team. And it would have to be accepted to and agreed upon by Carr himself, because with his no trade clause, he can just veto whatever deal he doesn't want. So if he doesn't get the right contract offer or something that he likes from whatever team is trying to trade for him that the Raiders want to send him to, then he can just put his hand in the air and say, nope, I'm not going too bad. And the Raiders are going to be stuck paying him anyway. We are sitting here February 2nd as we're recording. The 15th is just less than two weeks away. All of this would have to happen very, very soon. And with everything that it sounds like right now, not only from Carr himself at the Pro Bowl, and the Raiders GM uh, at the Senior Bowl, I believe, they're getting, he's, he's gone. One way or another, Derek Carr is going to be off the Raiders. And that, to me, sounds like this is an inevitable release. He already said goodbye. So, <laughs> yeah, well, let alone that. And uh, he's in Vegas, where the Pro Bowl is currently being held. Carr was put in as an alternate recently, and now he's in the actual Pro Bowl. He's doing the skills competition that they have new this year. And he's getting interviewed, and... He's asked the question, you know, you're on fire. Is this the, the hottest you've ever been in Vegas? And Carr goes, yeah, you know, I think it was. Maybe that's why I'm leaving. Mm. Like, can't get more frank than that. No. This dude's going to be on the open market. And so first and foremost, when you're comparing Carr and Rogers and you're looking at things in a pros and cons sense, a huge pro for Derek Carr is that he's likely not going to have to cost have to cost you any draft cap in a year when you're already lacking draft capital. We're pretty sure the Jets only have five picks as it currently stands. And the years, like we've said for a few weeks now, Matt, of they have so many draft picks and it's two firsts and two seconds and they can just pick whoever they want. And they have, you know, five picks in the top 75. That is not the case this year. That's They're going to have to be as as targeted and as purposeful with their picks as they've been in a very, very long time. And mortgaging the very little draft capital you have for a veteran quarterback, yes, will it help you get over the hump? Will it help you succeed? In theory, it will. But if you can get a productive player at the position anyway without having to do that, I feel like that's a big plus. And we would be you know, not doing our jobs justice, quite honestly, Matt, if we didn't look at the obvious here and admit there is a clear and obvious skill gap between Derek Carr and Aaron Rodgers. Oh, absolutely. And I don't think anyone is questioning that. I don't think anyone is going to sit here and say, oh, they are exactly the same and plug either one of them into the Jets offense and it'll be like no different. Why Why bother going after Rodgers when Carr is going to be just as good? I don't think Carr would be just as good. I think Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks and most talented throwers of the football in league history and he's been as successful as he has been forever for a reason. 
even in what was considered a down year and in a game that I know you and I both watched, Matt, this year very, very intently when the Jets played the Packers in Green Bay, Rodgers made a couple of throws in that game with a bum thumb that were better than any throws any Jets quarterback (laughs) made all season themselves. So there is still talent here. And I don't think you're absolutely just throwing yourselves to the wolves and thinking it's going to be the the Peyton Manning decline where all of a sudden it was like Peyton Manning's arm turned to dust like Thanos snapped his fingers <laughs> and there was nothing that he could do to be effective throwing the football. Aaron Rodgers is is a gifted thrower and those guys tend to usually last, you know, as long as they can. John Elway and Dan Marino played well late into their careers because they were gifted throwers. Tom Brady did a ton of work to rework his motion and became a gifted thrower on top of that, on top of the arm talent he already had to keep his body fresh and his arm functioning. Rodgers is just one of the most naturally talented guys, period. You know, Brett Favre's another one. Similar situation. Plays very late in his career, has some amount of a decline, but it's not as much of a physical decline as it could be for guys that are less talented. But we need to talk, like you said, Matt, about the cost for what Rodgers is going to command. I think it's going to take at least a first. I don't think there's any way the Packers organization with their fan base, with how they've been very, very successful, but they haven't gotten over the hump. And there's all of this media and drama and a guy in Aaron Rodgers that has been, you know, God to Packers fans for so many years. How's it going to look to the media and the fan base if they go, we're trading Aaron Rodgers for a second round pick this year and a third round pick next year, and Jordan loves our starter? It's not going to look great. But at the same time, I would feel very iffy about giving up a first round this year. Mostly because of the risk of him retiring after one year. That risk has to be factored in. We can't just trade a first-round pick this year, a first-round pick next year, and then all of a sudden he retires, and we're stuck holding the bag. That's not a situation we can put ourselves in. I would much rather push that first-round pick to being a possible first-round pick, a conditional pick in 2024, and maybe giving a day-two pick, whether it's a second-rounder or a third-rounder. I think a second-rounder would probably be more palatable for the for Green Bay this year and then have like maybe another second round pick that could turn into a first next year if he decides to stick around uh I think that's the only thing that makes sense to me because otherwise we're really taking a huge risk uh and a huge risk I don't think anybody can afford uh because all right let's say we get caught uh, we get a, a Rogers for a year we get to the playoffs and we sputter out. And then he just retires. Now we just had our one-year wonder. We're now we're stuck with a giant cap hit with him retiring. Or not, uh, I think it's just dead money at that point. And now we are also out premium draft picks. That's a horrible situation to be in. And I think that would just put all the coaches and JD right back in the same hot seat that they were in before. So it just doesn't make sustainable sense for them and their jobs for the team and their future success. It just doesn't make as much sense unless you get a favorable price, which would, like I said, be a day two pick this year and then a conditional pick next year. And the problem with that, quite honestly, Matt, at least in my opinion, is exactly what you brought up, which is the threat of Rogers retiring. And what happens if, you know, he calls it quits after one year and you've already sent a first round pick for the following season. And now you have no ammo to try and get yourself a replacement quarterback. And if you don't win the Super Bowl in the one year you play with Aaron Rodgers, then what was it worth? You know, that's a big question. The other question, at least for me, that's ringing ugly in my head is how long on a contract as his deal currently stands that whatever team that trades for Aaron Rodgers is going to be on the books for him in a big way where just going off base salaries and how his contract is currently structured his cap hit for 2023 is going to be 31 million which is not terrible in terms of top end quarterbacks it's a lot but it's not Absolutely out of the question. I'd imagine a car cap hit on a new contract would likely be similar, if not more than that. 
Then you look at the following years as it's currently structured because his contract goes all the way out to 2026. He has a $40 million cap hit in 2024, a $59 million cap hit in 2025, and a $53 million cap hit in 2026 as it currently stands. He'll be 45 years old then. <laughs> Art, like, even if you get, you're hoping for three good years of Aaron Rodgers and he's going to be 42. Well, how much is guaranteed after the second year? Now, this is the interesting part. And it's kind of complicated to work out. But if I'm understanding this correctly, he still has for 2023 and 2024 guarantees of an, a roster bonus and an option bonus of $40.8 million uh, or $58.3 million in 2023 and a $47 million bonus in 2024. Those bonuses, the way they are currently set, if they are picked up, become fully guaranteed. However, if they are not picked up, they get converted into his base salary for that year. So I don't know how that would work cap hit wise, but you would have, if you don't pick up this fully guaranteed bonus that I think would count more against your cap, you would have a $58.3 million base salary for Aaron Rodgers going into 2023. That's if you acquire him for this year. So you're either guaranteeing him, which would likely show up on your cap, $58 $58 million in an injury guarantee, and he gets to keep his low base salary. His base salary, as it currently stands for 2023, is only set to be $1.1 million. All of his money is tied up in bonuses and, and roster bonuses. stuff. Yeah. So if you don't pick up that option, it then converts to a base salary. I don't know how it would work out for cutting purposes or if you could get out of that deal from there, but there's no way I could see the Jets wanting to pay Aaron Rodgers a base salary or any amount of cap constraint that's going to count $58 million against their cap for 2023. That seems that seems absurd. That is absolutely and totally absurd. Yeah, I I don't see that. But I I'm just trying to think if best case scenario, we trade for him and we get two solid years out. Then it's a matter of what happens then if he doesn't want to retire. Are we still stuck with him in 2025? And 2025 is is kind of fishy. As it currently stands, that he would be, if I'm listing this correctly, he would be 43, 44. Sports Track is showing that he would be an undrafted free agent, but I'm also seeing on Sports Track that he has roster bonuses tied up in 2025 and 2026 that are set to be paid in 2025 and 2026. Gotcha. See, I, I, I feel like whatever team trades for him, hopefully, especially if it's ours, there is some kind of reworking of this contract to kind of uh, settle out the back end of it, so it's not so convoluted, uh, so that the amount of dead cap is kind of reduced, uh, and allows him to kind of go off into the sunset and not also take our chances at a sustainable future with it. Uh, I think that has to be worked into it. Uh, I don't know if that gets done before a trade or after a trade, but I feel like that needs to get done. And he kind of hinted at being open to reworking things. Uh, I'm not sure if it was more for uh, reworking things to make a trade easier or reworking things to uh, really just settle that, but I would hope that it would kind of settle that and make that a little less murkier uh, and kind of give us a, a time frame. Like, I, I feel like a contract can also show his intent. If he signs a contract where he has all this guaranteed money uh, for a two-year span, and then after that, it, it kind of, you know, enters like a gray zone, then it kind of shows that he's willing to also stick around for those two years. Yeah, that's going to be the question. And Rogers being open to a restructure is definitely going to help. I think the the biggest issue, quite honestly, is his cap hit for 2023. And I, I'm, as it currently stands, if he is on the Packers roster or whatever trading team picks up his contracts roster, uh, I believe it is by June 1st, then his bonus kicks in and it becomes $58.3 uh, million fully guaranteed for that one year. 
And then if he's on the roster come 2024, this is where the bonus kicks in as I got a little more research in. If he's on the roster, that bonus then gets picked up and it becomes $47 million is guaranteed for 2024. He could likely be cut for some amount of savings after 2024 or after after 2023 if things go completely and totally haywire, but you're getting about $16 million in cap savings. If he's cut after 2024, then that goes up significantly higher, and mm-hmm. he's able to be cut in 2024 for... Oh, wait, no, excuse me. Yeah, 2024 cap savings of $16 million. So that would be cut before 2024 season. If he's cut after the 2024 season, it's cap savings of 42 million. Got it. <laughs> so well, are you willing? Such a mess. So are you willing to pay him that much up front? Are you willing to pay Rogers this amount right now? And then if it works out, lock yourself into these guarantees for 2024 as well. I think what might happen is you might see the Packers try and maybe do some sort of a deal where they can give him some amount of a signing bonus or some amount of another bonus that's going to be money up front and kind of take off some of whatever's left to be overdue and paid guaranteed for whatever contract or team is trying to acquire that contract. Either way, yes, Aaron Rodgers is great. And I'm not, I don't think that, you know, he would show up to New York and be a complete shell of himself. Like we mentioned before, But if it's going to cost you at least a first round pick, likely a first round pick next year, where if all goes well, then you're playing well, you're keeping Rodgers and you're locking yourself into paying him forty seven million dollars and you likely don't have a first round pick. Plus, you're going to need to re-sign some of your other veterans that are going to be getting older or you trade for Rodgers, you give up a future first, it goes haywire and you only you let him go after one year, you take the $16 million in savings, and you still don't have a first-round pick, and you're right back where you were a year ago. And now mm-hmm. you're just... And you just paid a bunch of money in 2023 for nothing. It's... I don't want this to seem for everybody, like we're sitting here going, oh, this is there's no positives whatsoever for Aaron Rodgers, and Derek Carr makes so much more sense. The positive for Aaron Rodgers is that the talent is greater, I think the the attitude from the organization would be, okay, we're serious. We just went out and got got a guy that's won multiple MVPs and is a Super Bowl champion and is going in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, we're not messing around. We're not going to, you know, take middle of the road quarterback and act like we got this MVP caliber dude. We went and we're swinging for the fences. I think that's going to send a message to the rest of the locker room that it's go time, put up or shut up. And if you don't want to be doing everything you can to go win a championship, you're not going to be here much longer. It's going to bring excitement back to the organization. It's going to bring, you know, media coverage and, and attention to the team that's been lacking for a long time. And it's likely going to result, at least in the next year, and the Jets being probably pretty good and probably good enough to be a playoff team. And is that great? Absolutely. I don't think any of us would complain for that. But are you willing to sacrifice the future of your team and the longevity that can be built that you've spent so long building and finally have somewhat of a foundation laid are you willing to mortgage all of that so that you can build a glass roof to stand on and hope it doesn't fall out from under you i don't know how i would feel about that i think the the overall final just nail in the coffin positive for Derek carr in my opinion is if things go well you can still build for the future Mm -hmm. because he's only going to be 32 next year so if you pull this off, if you sign Derek Carr, even if you trade for him and restructure the contract and you give up the mid-round pick to make sure you get him, but you commit to this being your guy and you're right and it works, you could be successful for five, six, seven years. You could have a much longer path to build. You could have much more time to be good and continue building your roster and not feel like you have this giant price tag. And you know what? If Carr's asking for a new contract in three years and he's played well enough to warrant one, then the Jets are probably doing pretty well. Yeah. So I, I don't think that's a bad situation to be in. With Rodgers, it's let Rodgers get his one last dance. And for all we know, he could play so well, the Jets could get to the Super Bowl and win. And that's awesome. And everyone's losing their mind and we would love it and never trade it for the world. And then Rodgers could go, that's all I needed and retire immediately. <laughs> yep. And- and, and then it's just and, like, and, all like, right, well, now what? <laughs> and it's going to feel like a fever dream. Like, did it even happen? Like, like what, what was this? It's, it, there's, there's a lot of risk involved, like you said. And if I'm, if I'm running the show, if I'm Joe Douglas, if I have, quite honestly, my job on the line, 
I'm going the Derek Carr route because I think it's easier to get out of if it doesn't work. It's more explainable to get out of if it doesn't work. It doesn't hamstring your future. And if it does work the way you want to, you can continue to build for that same future too. I, I just feel like you're you're selling your soul for Aaron Rodgers to win you a Super Bowl in the next two years. And you're saying, I don't give a damn what happens after that. And that's how you end up like the LA Rams who have a roster that's completely and totally gutted and 90% of their money tied up in like five veterans towards the end of their career. Yeah. It's not the best situation. Uh, like what, what do the Rams do now? They're going to be rebuilding probably for the next two right. to three years. And their coach is going to go do media in, in like a year. Yeah. Uh, I I don't want to be in that position. Yeah, winning the Super Bowl would be the most. It's it's what we all watch for, right? So I don't want to take away from the possibility of winning that Super Bowl. I just think we should all have realistic expectations, and it's very hard to win a Super Bowl, even if you do have a guarantee, right? Like, look at Josh Allen. We thought that the Bills were probably one of the best teams in the league. Uh, probably for the last two to three years. And th- guess what? They haven't gone to the Super Bowl one. So even Allen in his prime with a great team around him still hasn't gone. Now, we can give Rodgers uh, our, our team right now, and I am very confident he can get us to the playoffs. But then at the same time, it's, do we have enough around him to say that we're like the Eagles? where I would say they are a complete team, front to bottom, uh, every which way. Do we have a complete team that Rodgers can fit right in and, and just get us to where the Eagles are right now? I don't think so. I think our team still has a lot of holes. And if we go out and get Rodgers, I also believe that makes it a lot harder to fill those holes. And if we're talking about a one-year show, I would want a, a, like a domino, a, a dominating team around him to kind of seal the deal, right? It, it, what you see with a lot of these teams going for broke is that they'll make giant moves at the trade deadline to get like missing pieces, or they'll make uh, flash uh, moves in free agency before the season. To get them the team over the top, but I don't think we can do that <laughs> if we do this Rogers deal. Uh, definitely not with the draft, especially if we give up first round pick. So it it just becomes a a lot harder, and it puts up so much pressure on one year. I just don't like that 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 feeling that we're putting all our eggs into one basket. And yeah, it it would be nice. Just to, just to go out with a bang. But at the same time, we have to think about what happens next. I can't not think of what happens yeah. next. Yeah, I want to draw, I, I draw a very stark comparison um, before we get into Senior Bowl and round out with that, as that's been going on this week. And we're definitely more excited to talk about some of these draft prospects than we are contract language and roster bonuses and all of that nonsense. But I think of the Denver Broncos again to make the analogy to Peyton Manning at the end of his career where did signing Peyton Manning work for Denver absolutely they won a Super Bowl Manning set the yardage and passing record for a single season and like I think it was his first year with the Broncos you know they got to two Super Bowls won one of them you know they had a a good run they got what they needed out of it and they were a successful team look where they are now Mm -hmm. (laughs) look where they are now Look, look what it look what it cost them and look where they've been since then, where after that Super Bowl in 2015, they have never made the playoffs. They've never even made the playoffs. Peyton Manning was one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL the last year of his career in 2016 was uh, 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 almost unplayable. It was not a, a functioning NFL quarterback at that point in time, at that at that age with the injuries he had suffered. And for a guy that as talented as he was, was never the most gifted, incredibly amazing thrower of the football his arm deteriorated and they fell apart and they've been struggling to get back anywhere ever since now they've tried, they're trying to mortgage their future again. They gave up two first and a crap ton of money for Russell Wilson in a trade didn't seem to work out year one. And now they're giving up future draft picks and ammo for Sean Payton to come be their head coach. 
and there's still no guarantee it's going to work. <laughs> and if it doesn't, then they're totally screwed and they're going to be bottom feeders for five plus years while they have to rebuild the entirety of the rest of their roster and wait to get draft picks again and wait to have money to sign other players again. Their top, like Pat Sertain, goodbye. G- good luck on another team because good luck trying to retain him. You know, these are the the problems that could be faced by the Jets in very, very short order. And I am not going to sit here and be an idiot and say that would I deal with it if the Jets get one Super Bowl and I'm able to see it? Yeah, I get it. I totally get it. I'm not going to sit here and say I don't understand that whatsoever because the chance of it happening again after not happening since 1968, Lord knows, you know, there's no guarantees in anything in this world. And for as much of a chance as they could possibly get in one year to guarantee it, I fully and totally understand. But that doesn't mean that it's smart. And that doesn't mean that there isn't another option that is right in front of them as well that could give them results well enough to give them a shot. Does Aaron Rodgers give you a better chance to win the Super Bowl next year in in 2023 or 2024 than Derek Carr? Absolutely. But do you have no shot with Derek Carr? I don't think so. And you have a hell of a lot better shot with Derek Carr than you would anybody else. And I think the cost of investment and how risk involved if it doesn't work and how you can get out of it as a team, you know, I I just this seems like a no brainer to me. I, I don't see. I don't see any reason the Jets would logically or should logically swing for the fences and go go all out for Aaron Rodgers unless Woody Johnson commands them to. And that's about the only reason I can. Which right, which is which is not out of the realm of possibility. I don't want to make that very clear that (laughs) it is very possible that that is exactly what is happening. And and that's what the Jets are going to try and do. Teams make stupid decisions sometimes, even if it works in the short term, wouldn't be the first time and it won't be the last. It wouldn't, but then you know what? If it, let's say it does work, I think Woody kind of goes by the same formula going forward of trying to to buy uh, championships with uh, free agent quarterbacks. Uh, although I don't think I, I don't know if we'll ever see a situation like this again. That's where... going so great for the Colts right now. Yeah, right. That's that's <laughs> going awesome for them. Uh, it. It just makes me so nervous. Uh, but you know what? Th- this team, I, I, I'm, I'm going to just see it from the other side. And how long have we gone with mediocrity to downright horrible play from this team? And the possibility of seeing eliteness at the quarterback position with the skill players that we have on both sides of the ball right now and young players. So yep. yeah, I, I we, we'll have this uh, our base for this team for at least a couple more years, with or without Rodgers. So I see the 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 light going on. Like okay, we can make this run with Rodgers now, and hey, we'll still have this strong team, so we could do something else that, even if he leaves. But then they're not. It's kind of short sighted and not. And very simplistic. And I think there's so many factors, especially with money and draft picks, uh, that's not really being factored in. And yeah, it's great right now, but I can just see it falling apart so quickly and not, and again, having sustained ugliness over and over again. And I don't know. I I, I wonder how people that were uh, alive during the first Super Bowl feel about everything that's happened since uh, it's that would be a good question for for someone alive to tell that story uh, i i can only imagine what they have been through but no to wrap up matt i'm i'm in agreement as there's a huge huge risk that you are going to damage your team i don't want to say beyond repair because that's not true but damage your team to the point that the only thing that will heal you is time of being bad and I just don't know if if that's how you want to set things up and then have guys win and succeed to then be fired for being bad shortly after when the consequences of their actions set in. I'm just it's a dicey situation and there's no guarantee it's going to work. And this is kind of 
like in a nutshell for me, if Aaron Rodgers was the only option, I'd get it a lot more. Mm-hmm. But Derek Carr staring you right in the face. If Carr wasn't an option whatsoever, if it was who can you get and the Ravens aren't trading Lamar and Rodgers is a possibility, then you do whatever you have to do to get him because he's the only option. Is it desperate? Yeah, but I understand it. You don't have to be desperate. And I think that's the whole point of this entire point that we're trying to make is trading for Rodgers is just a desperation move. And you can sign Carr without being desperate, still have some amount of success and still get out of things with you being okay if it doesn't work. Absolutely. Uh, And a lot of people, they have strong opinions about both these quarterbacks. Uh, And there's a lot of projection of how they feel onto how they feel these quarterbacks feel about coming here. Uh, and it, all of it's just nonsense. It's all noise. And we're hopefully going to get one of these guys. If we have to go to our third option or fourth option, I think it's, it's going to be a lot of, of, of sadness, a lot of heartache, even though we could probably still be very good. It could still be a very good team because when we look at the bar that was set last year at the quarterback position, it was mm-hmm. very, very low. So if we can miss out on these these top two quarterbacks and still be well off. Uh, and you know what? I still think people would be disappointed, even if we got to the playoffs with that team. It, it, they would feel like they missed out on greatness, and they could be right, but. I I like I like the idea the idea of sustainability. I feel like that's kind of why Joe Douglas was brought in because he has the idea of sustainability yeah. in his head. He had a plan for sustainability, and he started to build that plan. And to go away from it so abruptly, just because of the flashiness of of Rogers, just doesn't sit right. And it, it just doesn't feel like what we should be doing and yeah it could work out but it still just feels gross in some way yeah no i agree i I agree like i said it's just desperation Uh, and i don't think uh, as (laughs) do the jets have to be somewhat desperate yes but i don't think they have to be that extremely desperate i think they can still make a smart move that becomes impactful for them without completely and totally mortgaging their future, not only financially, but also in terms of draft capital. And I don't think it's any more simple than that. Yep. That's all it is. All right, Matt, let's close things out. Let's get to some senior bowl prospects. We got two, uh, two linemen here, one offensive lineman, one defensive lineman to highlight guys that have really been showing out throughout most of the week. Far from the last guys we'll talk about from this event. I'm sure just quick little highlight of some of uh, some of the guys that we've been keeping an eye on and have been watching over the last couple of days in Mobile, Alabama. Matt, let's lead things off with a guy you've been high on for a long time and a guy I only caught up on a little bit recently, but I imagine he's going to be shooting up draft boards real soon after this week in Mobile with how dominant he's been. And when guys get to his tape like I did and see the same sort of thing on his tape, they're going to start getting to know this guy really, really well. Tell us about Keanu Benton at Wisconsin. Yeah, uh, this guy is a monster. Uh, He... What were his measurables at the Senior Bowl? I have three and a half and 312 pounds. Got it. So, yeah, he's a big boy, but he moves so smoothly, uh, so violently, and with so much power and violence that it, it, it's such an impressive sight. One of our favorite centers uh, at the Senior Bowl, or just in general, uh, Olu out of, out of Michigan. We were just waiting to see a battle between him and some of these top interior defenders, and we were not disappointed. Uh, Benton just had him grasping at air and just looked so smooth and efficient at doing it. He's the guy that offers you leverage in the run game, power to hold up linemen, and use his length and, and, and power to really gain leverage in the gap, as well as the quickness and the violence to shoot these gaps, to get the penetration, and to cause havoc. Right now, who do we have next to, to Quinnen next year? I don't think we... Do we have anybody signed 
The in, Jets in the do interior? not have a single defensive tackle under contract for the 2023 season besides Quentin Williams. Exactly. So we have Franklin Myers who can do some time inside. We have Clemens who can also do some time inside. But at the same time, none of them are guys that you would probably feel comfortable putting inside uh, all together uh, on a permanent basis that you would feel comfortable maybe even rotating in for Quinnen. Uh, because if you take Quinnen off the field, we saw what that looked like against the, the Lions. It did not look pretty at all. They just doubled up the edge rushers and they trusted uh, to their guys on the inside to go one-on-one and it worked. <laughs> we didn't really get any pressure that game. So we need somebody next to Quinnen. We need somebody that can be equally as fearsome, equally as scary, get the same kind of pressure, that quick, violent penetration, uh, and is stout against the run, and as well as the pass rush. This is Ben, and it's going to be, there's always a lag between uh, what the the media sees and, and what everybody that sees that watches the games throughout the season. Uh, I believe everybody's really getting a crash course on Benton now, and like, and other people's boards are going to start to look a lot like mine. Right now, I have him as a solid second round pick. Yeah, based on what I've seen, I'd say he's he is absolutely a second round player, if not better. Uh, you know, I think that he, if a team took him, which I got to watch a little more. But if he's the thirty first overall pick this year, considering the Dolphins don't have a first for their tampering fiasco there's only 31 first round picks in 2023 if he's the 31st pick i'm not going to be upset about it if he's the 33rd pick i'm not going to be upset about it i this dude is really talented this dude is really 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 talented and what you were saying matt in terms of the jets needing somebody else on their front that can come in when quinnon williams isn't there i think this guy is the perfect quinn's off the field he plays the quinnon role guy where he's not going to be as good as quinnon williams Let's be very clear about that. Very few people are. Quinnen Williams is tied with actually another guy in this draft class and Jalen Carter for the second highest grade I've ever given a defensive tackle, seconded only to Aaron Donald. These are special, special guys. I don't think Keanu Benton is that level of special, but he's really, really good. And what he does well, he does very, very well. And he absolutely can be an effective player and part of the rotation where could he be the best member of a defensive line? Probably. Is he going to be an all pro? I don't know. But if I'm looking for a guy to sub in for the Jets, at least in the immediate short term, when Quinnen Williams is not on the field, the guy that can play three tech and rush the passer when he needs to, that can line up on early downs and play a shade nose roll or play more of a backside three tech where, you know, they're not head up over the ball on the outside shoulder and they're chasing pursuit from the other way. If I need that sort of guy that can hold up and run support, get pressure on the quarterback and play in multiple fronts where you can be attacking and also be the guy setting up pins for everybody else. Benton is ideal for that. He is absolutely and totally ideal for that role because he is a an, a much more effective pass rusher than you would expect when you first look at him and look at his build. He's quick off the ball. He is an absolute like kung fu fighter with his hands and his ability to swat away people trying to get into his chest and swim over them and dip and rip and and double swipe and he's just he does not let anybody get inside of him and in the run game it's the same sort of way where he's got measured in with i believe it was 33 and 5 8 inch arms so almost 34 inch arms good length for a defensive tackle he uses that length well to keep guys off of him he's able to uh, play with one arm rather than just using two, which extends his length even further. Can still has the strength and you know the grip to keep guys off of him that way. Uh, there's the thing about him that that I came away really impressed with the most, Matt. And I want to get your opinion on this as well. It is very, very, very obvious when you watch Keanu Benton on film that he is a craftsman and that he absolutely takes his technique and his his craft seriously. Where it, he does a lot of things just exactly how you would expect a textbook you know technique of someone teaching it as a coach to do it where you're playing the run we're going to stack with our outside shoulder once we're going to get extension with two arms to create space then i'm going to transition to the one arm and turn the guy and and get off that shoulder and then i'm able to get off the block and go make the tackle textbook we're on the inside and i'm lined up at three tech and i'm trying to go to the inside of the center because i or the inside of the guard because i'm lined up on his outside shoulder 
and I'm making a quick swim to the inside. I'm going to take my right foot. I'm going to step out. I'm going to duck under with my left foot. I'm going to bring my left arm right up at the same time, link my hands to my feet, hit the swim, make sure I have the, you know, hand, right hand coming from the back to keep my back end free. Let's go get the quarterback for a sack. It's, it's, he puts so much work into these moves that it's become second nature to him. And that's when you can tell that guys are, are just playing, you know, like we see for the Jets and Robert Sala all the time, when you practice it and you hone it and the techniques become second nature, then you're not even thinking you're just playing and you're loose. That's Benton to me where it's like, he doesn't even have to think about what he's doing, but he's doing it exactly how you would expect. And I love that dedication. I love the attitude. I love the, the raw strength that he possesses, the quickness off the ball. There's, there's a ton, a ton to like with him. And for the Jets specifically, I think he's an absolute perfect fit in our front. Yeah, I, I love guys that have good pass rushing plans. They're not just throwing yes. out one move out there. Uh, if it works, then great. If it doesn't, then they're kind of just uh, just swimming around, they're just treading water. Uh, but he has a plan. He's got a plan A. If that doesn't work, he can counter. I, I, it, to see a guy be able to counter so efficiently at, at this point in their career, uh, is very impressive. It shows a high football IQ. Uh, and I think that's exactly what Sala is looking for, what JD is looking for. These guys that are high IQ, that, that really put the effort in every single play uh, and really put the effort in off the field too, to really hone their craft uh, and to get better and better. And if this is where he is now, if you put him under the tutelage of Sala in this defensive crew, I think he can go even higher. And you put that yeah. next to a guy like Quinnen, it only makes him even better. So I think he's the perfect fit. Whether we have a second-round pick to even get him, that's the question. Uh, but if we do, I would, wouldn't hesitate to grab this guy. No, I wouldn't either. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what the Jets do with their second-round pick this year because regardless of what happens, some people are going to be disappointed because there are too many important needs at positions and not enough picks to go around. And in, I think we're in agreement here, Matt, the Jets are taking an offensive tackle round one. And so that's kind of like squared away in our heads of offensive tackle in the first round. So now is it defensive tackle, linebacker, safety in round two or center possibly? And you have four other positions that they could need and only one pick to make. It's going to be really interesting to see where they go. Speaking of center, let's get to the next guy on our list from the senior bowl. That is John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota. You could not have made a better name for an offensive lineman. If you tried um, JMS, as we will refer to him for ease of speech here for the rest of this podcast played at Minnesota, very uh, active hands, active feet. Um, he's kind of the really good at every aspect, but not absolutely elite in any area. Our friend David Wyatt Hupton over on jets, UK, uh, is a big, big fan of JMS. We, Matt, you and I don't necessarily feel as high as he does, but he's, according to David, best center in the draft, and I can understand the argument. He's technically sound, uses his hands well, is a good, uh, really solid anchor, uh, is able to reset when his first punch isn't there. When he's driving off the ball as a run blocker, he's able to get his uh, chest and shoulder into people and continues to drive, fights through the whistle, is a solid job on reach blocks as well, which we know the Jets are still going to be playing doing some zone running under Hackett so he could fit in that sort of range. I think for for me, speaking personally here, and I'd love to get your opinion too, Matt, I try and identify my weaknesses and my flaws in scouting and always try and improve. And if you can't be honest about where you struggle or where you might have some sort of a pitfall, then you're never going to be able to learn from it and fix it and correct it. And I know that one of my issues is that I'm a sucker for elite athleticism and I'm a sucker for elite traits, period. Mm -hmm. And so when I have a guy like JMS that doesn't really have any elite traits, but doesn't necessarily have any weaknesses or deficiencies either, and is kind of just all around really good and really consistent, that's when I might tend to unfairly undervalue them a bit. And, and I'm really trying to learn from this and get better at it because I've been burned on it a few guys in the past where a couple that come to mind specifically, it's funny, they play the same position for the same team, Denzel Ward and Greg Newsom, where I remember at the start of this podcast, we had our corner breakdown and I was down on Newsom compared to you and Vitor. And it was just because he was really good at everything, but there was nothing elite to his game. 
And that's where I kind of fell behind. And then you have a guy like Olu at Michigan comparing back to JMS, who's got elite strength, elite anchor, elite drive, elite ability to redirect and torque and turn people the way he wants to go. Or your other guy that you're a fan of, Ricky, uh, Ricky Stromberg at Arkansas that we've talked about, where he's an elite mover and he's able to get out of his stance really easily, still has some good power, some good effort, some drive as well. But his ability in space, his ability to fire off the ball, to get out in front and seal reach blocks as a center is so important. That's what he does really well at, at an elite level, practically. JMS is just really good everywhere. And I need to work on giving him more credit for that than maybe I have in the past. So I want this to be the opportunity where I can sit here and say, especially after the senior bowl performance he's had, where he's basically locked down everybody and has been, you know, knocking people, knocking the snot out of people in the run game too. He came to play and he's had a great week. And I think me personally and, and draft fans in general, if, if you're like me in this aspect, those guys are the guys that play in the league for 10 years. Those guys are the guys that, that have long careers that may be three or four different teams and they may never be an all pro for any sort of year, but they're always going to be good. They're always going to be consistent. They're going to play in the league for a long time and you know they're going to be an asset to whatever team has them. JMS is another guy where if the Jets don't sign McGovern, which I think is certainly likely at this point, and they're going to need a new starting center and they're probably going to look to the draft to do so if they can't get a cheap replacement in free agency. And even then they might look to get their future starter ahead of time. I wouldn't be opposed with this guy whatsoever. I think he was a fit for the locker room. I think he's got the attitude. I think he's got the power. Uh, you know, the one thing that we've said for a long time, Matt, especially this year is the Jets offensive line lacked any nastiness and, and aggression and strength to them when they needed to move people off the ball. JMS can do that just fine. He's not lacking in that whatsoever. He has some great reps on double teams when he climbs up and gets the, the pass off from the guard and he completely steals and seals and stonewalls the three tech and other reps where he does the opposite and he passes off to the guard and gets up to the linebacker and it's no chance for them either. I'm I'm a fan and I'm trying really hard to bump him up more in my head than I probably should just because I wasn't sitting there with the the jaw-dropping, oh my God, I can't believe he just did that plays like I had when I was watching Olu. So I'd love yeah. to hear your opinion, but I, this dude is really, really good and he deserves to be talked about. Like, Yeah, I, I, I tentatively agree. Uh, <clears throat> I try not to put too much stock into just the senior bowl. Tape, I feel like, is still king. Uh, if you have great game tape for the season or a couple seasons, I'm going to take that over a senior bowl performance. But at the same time, we were so high on Olu. We we're expecting him to probably be one of the best offensive linemen at the senior bowl. And he kind of had a goose egg the day one uh, against Benton, against Carl Brooks. Uh, he just wasn't the same guy that we saw. We were seeing him uh, getting way too far over his, his toes and getting caught lunging, grabbing air. And then we just look over at JMS, and he's just trucking along, just doing the same exact thing he's always done. Uh, and it, it, it's impressive just to see consistency. Because consistency is, is definitely undervalued, especially when you've got elite traits, like you were saying. Uh, so, yeah, it's easy to kind of dismiss it, or maybe not dismiss it, but like you said, undervalue it. And yes, maybe we should put more stock into that. And I agree. I, I maybe I, I will going forward. Uh, and I, 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 these three guys, the Stromberg, Olu, JMS, they were all my top three guys. I didn't really have too much of a gap between them. I still don't have that much of a gap between them. I still think they either, they can all go within the the late first uh, second round in or even early third they, they I feel yeah. like any all Top three of these 75 guys, all day long yeah all three of these guys I think it's all about what your flavor is uh, I don't think you're getting a bad center out of any of them so what do you it, it's more about what do we need yes I can rate him higher just for being solid but what do we want do we want the guy that's just going to be solid at everything when we really need somebody that's, that's elite 
that has elite traits, especially movement skills. Maybe if that's what we value more, then we need to look for somebody that that fits that mold a little bit more. So it's all about the flavor that you want. And right now, I'm just basing it off of what we have going forward. And it seems like we're still going to be very dependent on the wide zone. And I think that JMS would be serviceable uh, in, in that scheme. But at the same time, do I think that it will maximize his ability? I don't think so. So I still don't have him uh, that high on my board, uh, or at least as high as the others, just for that reason. Just for what I believe we want and need, rather than the fact that he's just solid at everything and consistent. And yes, I value it, but I value what we need and what other prospects can fill uh, rather than just overall solidness. Yeah, and I completely get that. I, I really, really do. And uh, that's where, for me, I always try and like kind of have two boards in my head going at all times, where I have my actual, regardless of what the Jets should do rankings, where it's just I take that out of the equation and what works best for this team and this scheme and say, okay, I'm not going to let that influence my grades because I'm grading all these guys in a vacuum. And then I have my what the Jets should do rankings and where it would align with their scheme and which players would fit them better. Where um, a guy like JMS, quite honestly, I think after the Senior Bowl and depending on how the combine works, I'm going to go back and really continue to dig in because he was the first guy of the group that I watched in the centers. And then I saw Stromberg and I saw Olu after. And then after I saw Olu, I was like, oh, this is the standard and everything after him is under. I got to go back a little bit because I'm I still think that Olu is the, the top center. But I had Stromberg second and JMS third. I think it's closer between Stromberg and JMS than I was thinking before. And I think there's a chance that they could be tied for two because the one thing with Stromberg that that kind of worries me is when it's one when it's third and one and I need you to move the nose tackle four yards off the ball. And I need you to either let the quarterback fall on your back and get the first down or the running back go over top of you or whatever the deal is. And, you know, I need to get a yard of movement or two yards of movement so that we can continue a drive or get a touchdown or stay in the game. That's when I don't know if Stromberg is the right guy for it. And conversely, when it's third and long and you got some real strong, you know, three technique who's coming at you from a running start and gets an arm into your chest do you have the anchor to then reset and saw and stick your foot in the ground and hold ground and not collapse the pocket? Because I arguably the most important part of being a center in my eyes is keeping the front of the pocket intact. If there's no lane for quarterbacks to step up, then edge rushers are going to feast all day long and you're going to have a bad time as an offense. So if you are a center that does not have the, the ability to keep your ground and anchor down and not get walked back, it's going to be tough. And I don't think Stromberg is a complete and total liability in that area, but I don't think it's absolutely his strength. And that's kind of, again, where I feel like I'm undervaluing the guys that are kind of more well-rounded because I'll go, Oh, the elites, the elite traits are great. But then if they're lacking in another area, then it's the counter to that. And then you get the magnifying glass on what isn't elite, where if you have a guy like JMS, where I'm not going to be upset whatsoever if the Jets take a guy and I that I know is going to be a solid offensive lineman for probably most of his career and spend 10 years in the league. Like I'm I'm not going to be upset about that at all. No. And I can it's very easy to see that that happening. He's got such a high floor uh and a decent ceiling as well. So it, it again, I I don't think you can really go wrong with any of these three. I think and I think I don't think any of them should really start right away either. Uh, I don't think uh, our coaches and or JD really trust that. I, I doubt they go into the draft without a starting center. So I think that either any any of these guys are going to have a year of being able to sit, learn, and refine their game. Uh, uh, one thing with with Stromberg, I, I also think he. Uh, it can refine his footwork a little bit and that can help uh, with some other, some other areas that he's lacking in. 
but then at the same time, when you look at CMG right now uh, with McGovern, I I don't see the power, but I see more power in Stromberg. He's he's got the movement skills that I think are on par with McGovern, but at the same time, just having a little bit more power, I feel like gives him the edge at least against McGovern going forward. Then you got Olu, who has great strength, but doesn't really have the movement skills that McGovern or uh, Stromberg have. So will he be maximized in our scheme? I think he'll be able to survive. I think he'll be fine. But at the same time, I don't think maximized. Same with Schmitz. So it's hard to not to do this in a vacuum. I I understand how you grade where just uh, taking what our needs are out of the equation. But I always have it just in the back of my mind. And I I just have to. Oh, it, it, it always sneaks up on me. And it always influences, maybe for my own, to my own detriment as well. But, but I, I need to find a way to turn that off, and I, I'm not able to do that just yet. Oh, it's it's a struggle. I'm not going to pretend like it's 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 easy. I'm not going to pretend like there aren't guys that I become attached to and I end up really liking because I know they could be such a good fit for New York. Exhibit A: Johnson, comma Jermaine, where. Th- I fell in love with his tape because because I said, "Oh my God, this is the Jets' future weak side defensive end." I said, "This is this is everything Robert Sala has ever said he's wanted in an edge rusher encapsulated, and and he's right here for the taking. Like it's it's too easy." And the connection was just rolling from there. We knew they needed defensive end help, and it was likely going to be towards the top of their needs list. I I totally get it. I completely and totally get it. It is not easy, but I think overall. Uh, even in general, just when you are looking at players, at least for me, the best thing to do, and for anyone listening that's you know wanting to get better at, at evaluation and everything else, the the one rule you have to follow is the tape is the tape, and then you have to remember that you you'll never be able to control where guys get get drafted, and you'll never be able to control what schemes they go into. And so if I'm trying to sit here and I let a grade be influenced in my head because I go, this guy would be really, really good. And, you know, I, I, if he I'm assuming he's going to go to a team that's going to put him like this and, you know, everything's going to work out great. And then it doesn't happen. And your grade, you know, kind of gets mismatched from there because it doesn't go to the right match. I try and view everything as let me evaluate the player. Let me look at their strengths and weaknesses. Let me see what the tape says their best position and best fit in the NFL would be. And that's going to be my evaluation. If they go to a place that uses them correctly, great. If not, it doesn't always happen. But I try and give every player that same benefit of the doubt where the players that I'm looking at that are going, these guys would be fits for the Jets. I want to give them the same idea as if I was looking at another team at another player that would be a fit for them. And I just, I don't want to discount anyone unfairly. That's pretty much all it comes down to. No. And, and it makes the most sense. Uh, I and I fall victim to it way too often, uh, and especially even here with the with the centers. Uh, so uh, I I will promise to be better in the in the future, uh, but right now I I just can't get out of my own way. Well, and the same time, there's not necessarily it's you know all bad either because a lot of these ways are how we identify guys that go on to fit the team and work really well and become players that we know are are perfect. Elijah Vera Tucker is another example where the very, very start of this podcast, we spent weeks and weeks and weeks banging the table going, this guy is perfect. This is your need. This is everything you could ever hope for. And I'm pretty sure he was all of our top rated guard in that class. And I'm sure the fact that he was perfect for the Jets had something to do with that. But when it works and you know your team well and you're able to identify what they're looking for, that's how you land on things like that. So it's not all bad. I don't want you to think that it's this is, you know, a, a crap on Matt show. That's not what I'm trying to make <laughs> it at all. But uh, no, there's there's positives and negatives to everything. It's just that's why I said I have like two boards in my head where it's like, this is my overall rankings. This is my for the Jets rankings. Yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. And I, I'm, I'll probably start doing that next year. Uh, I, I've already kind of stuck in my ways for this year. 
So oh yeah, no, I'll, you can't. I'll, you cannot I'll, change. I'm you not cannot change, change a process at the beginning <laughs> or in the middle of the draft season. No, oh, no, 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 no. These are any notes of improvement are saved for next year, and we will implement them then. But exactly. and we are in too deep to be to be executing facilities changes at this hour. No, yeah, it's not happening. Uh, but yeah, I mean, either way, I would be happy with any of these three centers. I have trust and our coaches to utilize them in the way that will best use them. Uh, so I, I I would not be sad at all if we got Schmidt. I wouldn't be sad if we got Olu. I would be sad if we got Stromberg. I'd be happy. I'd be content. I would look forward to seeing them in, in hopefully a year after a redshirt year and be our center for the next uh, 10 years or so. Uh, that would be an ideal situation, uh, and I think it's a situation most people would sign up for. Uh, we'll we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, that's it. I agree. I think there's you know take your pick of the letter. Any of the three would be great. There's a ton of trench talent in this class, whether it's on the offensive or defensive line. It's absolutely loaded, and the Jets would be very very smart to do what they can to get a handful of these guys because there's a lot of good ones and they have needs for it. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. That has been the show. Keep an eye next week as we continue to break down Senior Bowl, look ahead towards the Combine, offseason continuing to ramp up. We'll be one week closer to any sort of Derek Carr news, hopefully, see if any Aaron Rodgers restructures fall in any sort of time similar, and we can continue to break down this nonsense until the 15th of February when we can look ahead to the future and likely have an idea of knowing what's going to happen. Thank you guys one more time for stopping by. Make sure you're following the show at OKD Podcast. You can also follow me at AndrewGolden underscore 17. Matt, you know the drill. Uh, Matt, you can find me at Zazzy Jets. Can't wait to continue breaking down this crazy Jets offseason. Hopefully we'll have a new quarterback. We'll only have to wait and see. One more time. Appreciate you guys stopping by. Bye-bye.